This is a new podcast from Joshua Amo and Nate Calton, where we'll be discussing and analyzing our observations on pressing issues facing our world today. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the recent presidential debate. We're just going to be giving our opinions and analyses on what we thought, uh, what we thought of the debate. So yeah, Nate, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Um, final presidential debate. Um, it was much. I, I shouldn't say it was much civiler than the first one, but I, I had an easier time watching this one than the first presidential debate. Um, I liked the concept of muted microphones, at least in the first. Uh, well, each candidate give their first um, two minutes uninterrupted. I think that's something that they should keep uh, for, you know, for the rest of debates as they are, as they continue. Um, in terms of, I guess, some of the nitty gritty stuff, uh, I found that um, Joe kind of, he invigorated me a bit more during this debate because you could tell that he was keeping his cool, but you could tell that he was upset and he was frustrated with Trump and all the, you know, all the bullshit that he was spewing. Um, but, you know, he stayed calm. He stayed collected. Um, and I, I must say, Trump didn't do an awful job in this debate. Um, he, I mean, he doesn't have much to run on anyway, um, considering his situation. I don't think he actually did that bad, even though I really, really do not like Trump. Uh, but I think Joe Biden won this one. I definitely think Joe Biden won uh, just because, you know, he kept his composure. He stuck to mostly factual things. Um, he's more factual than Trump was. Uh, and, you know, Joe Biden, he has plans and you can see that on his website and Trump doesn't. And so, you know, this debate just kind of solidified um, that Joe Biden is a much more composed candidate um, who is more prepared to enter the presidency. If you were if Trump wasn't seeking re-election, this was like 2016, Joe Biden would obviously be the much more prepared candidate to enter office. Yeah, I agree with you. Just looking at the debate and looking at the, their platforms, both Trump and Biden's, um, it was just clearly evident that, in my opinion, that Biden won. He he has plans. He, his, he gave very well constructed like answers um with trump it was apparent in this debate and this last debate that he keeps on going after joe biden's children which i find is completely deplorable and disgusting that you would bring someone's family member into this into the debate it's like it's what the debate is what, what are you going to be doing for the American people. The American people do not care about that. That, and that's just completely crossing a line, in my opinion. Um, they have nothing to do with it. It's a debate debate between you and uh, Biden. So I don't understand why he was doing that. He continuously went back to um, Hunter Biden and his um, relationship with Ukraine and other like foreign um, entities. 
even when the topics had nothing to do with uh, international relations, with the topic would be about healthcare or race, and he would find a way to circle it back to that topic, um, which I thought it was a big failure on his part because he showed the American people again that he is unable to answer direct questions and able to uh, propose and give policy answers. Yeah, I think a perfect example of Trump not being able to answer uh, direct questions was the fact that like, um, when they asked about race in America and um, the moderator, I forget her name, um, but she said like, she asked the question about, you know, do you understand why um, black Americans uh, have the talk um, with their kids? And that's the talk for anyone who doesn't know um, is something that happens very often in households of color, uh, specifically with uh, black and brown children uh, where their parents tell them about, you know, what to do when they're pulled over or stopped by police, that you don't know any sudden movements. You keep your hands out of your pockets and your hands should be visible at all times. If you're in the car, hands on the steering wheel, always tell the officer when you're gonna reach for something and where you are reaching. You have to move very slowly to avoid a situation where you could get shot for no reason. And so Joe gave a pretty good answer saying, and he said that there's institutionalized racism in America and that it's a real problem and he wants to work to end that. Um, I would have, I wish he said something about policing, um, but I know that Joe is a moderate candidate um, so he won't be getting getting into uh, the systems of policing as much in his campaign. Um, whereas Trump did not really say that. He said, yes, I understand, but look at Joe. You know, and he, he brought up the 94 crime bill, which to be fair, that was not Joe's finest moment. Um, however, people change. And so Joe is working to do better from that 94 crime bill. And the difference is in 1994, Joe had that crime bill, but now from 2016 to 2020, Trump is legitimizing and empowering white supremacist groups. I mean, there's, he can't really say anything about uh, racism when he himself is a racist. And just like going off that, like that quote, I'm the least racist person in the room. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's I, just I, funny, what? it's just funny. I was crying. That shit was hilarious. Um, and then he followed that up by saying all, all the great things that he's done for Black people about funding for HBCUs, criminal justice reform. However, he has a long pattern history of saying imposing racist policies. If we go back to how he announced his campaign coming down that escalator, saying that Mexicans are bringing drugs and that they are rapists within his first couple of months, imposing a Muslim ban, calling neo-Nazis a white supremacist, very fine people. If we go him calling still to this day calling COVID nineteen the Chinese virus, like the utter xenophobia, like it blows taking out, my... <laughs> taking out an ad calling for the Central Park Five the death penalty, even though all yeah. of them were innocent. Calling a woman, uh, calling a woman of 
um, Spanish and Latin American background, Miss Piggy and Miss Housekeeping. Like he's literally on tape saying all these things. He's proposed racist policies, but like, oh, he's done. That's like saying, I have a black friend. I can't be racist. I know you've heard that. Yes, I have. I've heard that. That's what it sounded like to me. He retweeted a video at one point of people chanting white power and he was calling them good, good people, fine Americans. And (laughs) I mean, it's what the issue is, is when you think about it, when there's a real issue in your country with racism, where people think you're protesting America when you're protesting racism. And when you're protesting racism, people think that you are speaking out against the president. That means the president is racist. Like, I mean, that's not a hard conclusion to draw. It's, I, I sometimes, it I stuns me. It's, it's astounding the lack of critical thinking that some people have. Like, I just wonder, like, how, like, really, he really said that. And he was so confident. <laughs> so confident. I think another point in the debate that really caught my eye was when they were talking about immigration and they were talking about all the migrant children who were separated from their parents at the southern border and how 500 500 children are still not reunited with their family members and how that that just that broke that broke my heart because we know that this administration has been very tough when it comes to um, the border between the United States and Mexico and the tough like sanctions that they are, are that they are imposing on Mexico and other Latin American countries uh, if they choose to come here through the southern border. And he was saying that these detention centers are like very clean, the children are being taken great take, taken care of. But we've seen with our own our own eyes pictures, videos of children just herd together to, having to use tin foil for blankets, we've heard the, the horrific stories from the, the, those detention centers and from people who have worked at the Department of Homeland Security saying how it really is in those facilities. The forced hysterectomy yeah. that were being performed. Mm-hmm. And another point where he said something and it was, it was, I, it was kind of true, he said, to Joe Biden, who built those cages, and that 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 point right there, I have to say that that the, that initial policy was written under the Obama administration. However, they never enforced it. They never. Yeah, it, he, here's the thing that's also very important about that is that um, there was some family separation under the Obama administration, and. He is, Trump is correct um, in saying that um, like the detention facilities and like the, ca- the cages were built under the Obama administration. But one thing that's really important to understand about that is that um, there was no separation that was longer than 72 hours for these families under the Obama administration. It was 72 hours max. 
and then the families would be reunited and sent on their way, either into the United States um, as like dreamers, or they would be um, sent back to Mexico and to other um, South American countries. Trump's administration was the one that instituted the indefinite, uh, the indefinite separation. And because of that indefinite separation, now 500 kids, I think specifically it's 546, I believe, kids are separated from their parents and will probably never see them again. I mean, that's horrific. That should be like, if it isn't considered a crime against humanity, it should be. To separate these kids from their parents, these, these children are alone in the world and speak, most likely speak very little English. They have no idea what kind of world that they're going to be entering to. They have no one to take care of them. And they're on their own. And they'll probably never find their parents again because of the, I, I'll say it, because of the tyranny of this administration. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Awful. Yeah, it's, ter- it's terrible. And I think another clarifying point um he said coyotes coyotes during the debate and many people um didn't know like what he was referring to and coyotes refer to people who smuggle young children across the border and however they charge the families sometimes thousands and thousands of dollars in order to do so to drop their children off at the border and however, this notion, this has been very disproven many times that overwhelmingly majority of the time, it's families and their young children coming here um, together and being separated at the, at the Southern border. And it's just countless times this administration has shown that they showed little care and empathy for these people. The United States is a land is a land of immigrants. Everyone has come from somewhere. So for him to be playing politics with people's livelihoods is it's so disheartening. It just shows that like everyone, like everyone has a story. This land frankly doesn't belong to any of us. We are all immigrants in a way for, and for you to think that you are better than, than someone else coming from another country is just completely outrageous. It just goes against everything that America mm-hmm. is supposed to stand for. Land of the free. You know, be, yes, land of the free, right. home of the brave. A place like, you know, there was a time where America was called the melting pot because everyone was coming here and most immigrants, uh, specifically really from Europe, were being welcomed with open arms. But we can create a melting pot culture again if we are willing to accept people of all different nationalities. It's not hard to feel basic care and empathy towards people and to be accepting of others. I mean, like they teach you this in preschool and in kindergarten to be nice to everyone. To be kind, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. But I mean, that just doesn't exist here. And it's the basic thing. Like, how can you, if a kindergartner can understand being nice to everyone, why is it that the leadership of our country 
leaders of our country cannot understand that and cannot execute that. It's just, it's so disheartening. It makes you feel like you can't, it almost makes you feel like you can't trust your government because at what point, at what point do they stop accepting the citizens who are different than them? Um, Like moving on to another uh, key topic that they talked about during the debate was healthcare. And this is a very controversial topic. It's ha- it has been since the Affordable Care Act or better known as Obamacare <laughs> um, was passed years ago. It's been a very t- tremendous fight for Republicans and Democrats. Uh, during the debate, Trump has said that he wants to, and throughout his administration, he says he's wanting to repeal the Affordable Care Act and replace it with something better that he has no plan, no idea. It's been shown they've tried it, nothing has worked. Um, I believe his solution, in my opinion, is to eradicate the Affordable Care Act and replace it with something cheaper. Something cheaper and something that doesn't work as well. Instead of trying to improve the, the existing plan, and we know that he's trying to do this because it's been a fight in the courts um, with now with the appointment or soon to be appointment of Amy Coney Barrett, who has written many legal briefs and who has agreed um, with people trying to ship away um, health care insurance for over 20 million people in the United States that she does not... <clears throat> that she agrees with doing that um, during a global pandemic when many people are relying on health, of this free health insurance. And he's just shown that like, how are you that careless and towards the people that you're supposed to be representing? They need this right now and you're trying to take it away from them instead of trying to improve it. It just shows, it just speaks so highly to um, how America functions as such a aggressively capitalist society where healthcare is something that is debated. It's something that, you know, you're not, you're never sure about what's gonna happen with your healthcare, your access to medical care you know, it's up for debate every every four years. You could argue it's up for debate every two years with the elections in the House happening every two years. I, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And yeah, it just, speak, it just speaks to how America functions as a capitalist society. And it's really, really, really disappointing that they're thinking about taking away people's health care in the middle of a pandemic. And what's even scary is um, I can't vote this year. I'm just too young. And it's, I find that very upsetting, but I'm too young to vote. I can't change that. But I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to have health care until I'm 26. Or am I going to suddenly lose that health care and have to get my own plan as a college student? I mean, college students, we know through student loan debt and just through 
um, speaking with college students, college is very expensive and college students don't have that much money. And then you're going to expect them to pay for their own health care plan. I, Joe Biden said something last night that I was really waiting for him to say in the debates, and I'm so happy he did, is that health care is a human right. And it's not, it's not a privilege. It's not something you earn. It's something that you deserve. It's a fundamental right. That's something that I feel like should be, that's, something, that's an idea and opinion that should be shared by everyone. It shouldn't even be an opinion. That should be considered a fact, that everyone should have access to medical care. Because if people die because they can't afford the medicine that could have saved them, you have a problem. Period. Period. <laughs> oh my. This man. Oh my God. And I want to say too, real quick. Um, I don't know if we have any Trump supporters listening. I'm guessing probably not. But if you are a Trump supporter and you're listening to this, if you are, if healthcare is one of the things that you are agreeing with Trump about, his healthcare plan that he's been talking about. That has been coming in two to three weeks for four years. He's been saying, oh, we have a plan. We're going to release it in a couple of weeks. He's been saying that for years. And he's had no plan. Trump has no health care plan. So you can scratch that off the list, too, of a reason to vote for him. You look at Trump's website. He has bullet points. But those bullet points aren't hyperlinks. You can't click on those. It doesn't bring you to a further plan. Biden's website has that. Biden's showing and is very transparent to the people that he has plans. Mm-hmm. Trump doesn't. And another thing, it's only in the United States of America where citizens would not like to see other American citizens have health insurance. Because it's really, when it comes down to it, it really comes down to an American citizen not wanting another citizen to have insurance because they don't want to uh, pay more in their tax dollars to help another person out. And for a country that really emphasizes uh, patriotism and community and we are the greatest country in the world, the freest democracy, stuff that we are taught at such a young age, it's ingrained into our brains to pledge allegiance to a flag. It just shows that like, oh, but when it comes to protecting, when it comes to giving another person health insurance that they, oh no, I don't want, I don't want another person to have health insurance because I don't want to pay more. And it's really the only thing in the the United States of America, you don't really see this in many European countries, Canada and all these other countries who have adopted a universal healthcare system. Yes, you'll have to pay more, but that's the price that comes to helping everyone and establishing a global community and fostering peace and trust. But no, not if I have to pay more. No, no, no. That's part of the social contract that you sign up for when you decide to be a citizen of a country. The government is going to protect you and provide you with services. But those services are not free. And the government is not a business. The only way they make money is that of everyone 
in the system that the government is protecting contributes. That's how it works. And healthcare is something that is a necessary protection and service that people need. So you need to contribute to pay for that. I mean, it's like, and if we expand to a universal healthcare system, it's not just other people who are going to get it. You get it too. You don't have to worry about can you pay for this doctor's appointment. You know, is it in, is it worth spending a lot of money, hundreds of dollars, to go figure out what's wrong with you? It's. I mean, that's just that's how. That's how a society is meant to function. You contribute to the government, the government gives back to you. I mean, we're one of the, we're one of few developed countries in the world at such a highly developed level that doesn't have something like this. Um, I was, I watched a clip from the, um, from the, remember when AOC streamed Among Us? Oh yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. thought it was, yeah, it was, it was so entertaining, it was so funny. Um, but one thing that they were talking about, she was playing with some people who uh, live in Europe, and she was like, oh, what's it like to have universal health care over there? They're like, oh, we just, just, you know, when something's wrong, we call the doctor and we go in. Um, the doctor prescribes us something, gives us a diagnosis. We go and pick up whatever medication we need. And then we go home and they joked. And then we look up how much it would have cost in America. Mm-hmm. And another <laughs> I mean, thing that, I'm oh, sorry to cut you off, is that I've heard from my coworkers who are just talking to average working class people that, in times of crisis, don't, if say something's wrong with me, don't call an ambulance. You would want to know why I don't call an ambulance because an ambulance will put them, would cost an ambulance ride would cost a thousand dollars or hundreds of dollars just for an ambulance ride. That's not even including the healthcare coverage that they receive at the hospital. So many people are skeptical to go to a doctor's office because they don't have the money and they're scared that that's going to set them back financially. And no American citizen should have to worry about getting healthcare, about making sure that they are all right because if they do, then that'll set them back thousands, hundreds, thousands of dollars that they can't afford to pay back. And we treat healthcare like it's a business. These are people's lives. There's too many questions about people's rights that, that are up for debate. You know, it shouldn't be a debate whether or not people get healthcare. It shouldn't be a debate whether or not kids should be separated from their families. It shouldn't be a debate if a racial group's life, like if their lives matter. That, like, it shouldn't be a debate that someone should have autonomy over their own body. Like <laughs> when, you, when you have to phrase questions like that, when you, when you say, why is it when I say my life matters, your first instinct is to argue with me. Right? <laughs> like that, that shouldn't, that shouldn't right. happen. Or for when I say something is racist and you having the audacity to say, oh, no, it's not. Like you've ever experienced racism in your life. How are you 
someone who's never experienced something going to tell me how I should feel. Like, shut up and listen. That's the problem. No one's listening. Open up your Educate ears. Educate yourself. Yeah. Like, damn. Because right now, if you're choosing not to educate yourself you're choosing not to lean into discomfort and have these difficult conversations then you're just showing you simply don't care and you're fine with how everything is right now yeah if, if in this world where in, information is at your fingertips you can look something up in a second and learn things so incredibly quickly if you are still ignorant in this time where information is everywhere your ignorance is a choice. You're choosing to be ignorant at this point because it is so easy to look something up and to find something out and to learn something. I understand that conversations can be difficult, but without taking those steps to lean into those difficult conversations, you're not gonna make any progress and you're gonna stay very stagnant. They're not gonna become less they're not going to become more comfortable conversations the longer you stall and stay out of them. They're going to be more comfortable the more you lean into them. That's how you expand your comfort zone. You step out of it multiple times, familiarize yourself with something that you at first were uncomfortable with, and then it becomes more comfortable as time progresses because you get used to it. Having a conversation about uh, racial justice in America it's, it's, it's not dangerous. It shouldn't be life-threatening. Like, that's usually what fear is supposed to prevent, you know, a dangerous or life-threatening situation. But having a conversation with someone about race, it's not going to threaten your life. Mm-hmm. So lean into discomfort. Understand that people have had different experiences. Listen to people with those different experiences. Keep an open mind. And expand yourself. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just saying that no harm can come in exposing yourself to new ideas. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to bring up another point. This also does not support raising the federal minimum wage from $7.25 to $15. It's been at $7.25 since 2009. That's the federal minimum wage. That's how some people in certain states are still getting paid. And Joe, Joe Biden does support a $15 minimum wage as I, as someone who works a minimum wage job, I support that. Many people can cannot survive or are barely surviving of making $7.25 an hour. Like that's ridiculous that there are people out there that are still making that amount of money and trying to support a family and he's like oh he cares so much about the economy if he did (laughs) care about the economy what's so hard about saying raise the raise the federal minimum wage to fifteen dollars like studies have shown that raising the minimum wage does not cause economic downturn. Um, you could actually probably argue that raising the federal minimum wage would increase the economy because then people have more money to spend. So they're able to inject that money back into the economy. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I just quickly, I just quickly did the math. Um, so there might be an error, but I believe I'm correct. Um, if you take 725 um, and you say you work every day of the week, five days a week, you work an eight-hour shift. You're making 725 an hour for four weeks. In that month, you'll make $1,160. If you increase that minimum wage to $15 an hour, and you're working the same schedule, eight-hour day, five days a week, four weeks a month, you will have $2,400 at the end of the month with a $15 minimum wage. I don't understand why that seems to be such why that concept is like why that's it's so I don't understand how that's so difficult to understand to pay someone a living wage in some states actually I'm pretty sure um, don't take my word as fact on this um, but I am I'm kind of I think um, that even a fifteen dollar minimum wage in some states or in some areas isn't even enough for rents in some places. Because if, um, for example, if looking at the large cities, of, that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Because there's different parts of the country that have higher cost of living. But also you have to remember that the money that they make from their weekly paycheck, what gets what gets taken out? Taxes gets taken out. Taxes, health insurance, dental dental insurance, eye care, all these things get taken out. Exactly. So when you look at the final take home that they have for themselves and to spend it's so much less yeah the phrase the phrase paycheck to paycheck the phrase, the phrase living paycheck to paycheck shouldn't have to be said because mm-hmm. if you're living paycheck to paycheck that means every paycheck pretty much everything you make in that week or in those two weeks is immediately needs to be spent on bills um, some things are deducted for taxes, groceries, rent, ever anything, uh, car payments, uh, cell phone payments, which a cell phone is absolutely necessary in these times. Internet, absolutely necessary in this time. Internet is becoming a utility. Internet is just as essential as running water and electricity now. Mm-hmm. And then there's also right now in this the midst of this global pandemic where millions of people are out of work and many of those people were living paycheck to paycheck and now are struggling with how to provide uh, food and water and many other necessities to their children and to their families. Right now, like he brags about the economy, but right now, the unemployment rate is at eight eight percent, and now as we're moving into the these winter months, and they're they're saying that the pandemic is going to be going into its third wave, we know that many more Americans are going to be suffering from this man's negligence and incompetence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's just, it's absolutely deplorable. Um, again, if there are any Trump supporters listening or anyone who's still listening as a Trump supporter, um, Trump is the first president in a very long time with negative job growth. Even Bush, after the financial crash of 2008, still ended up, ended his terms with positive job growth. 
he he ended with about one million jobs created in a net total. I believe Trump is sitting at about a loss of four million, mostly due to COVID. But COVID, the extent of what COVID has reached at this point is his fault, because as we've addressed before, Obama left him a pandemic team and pandemic plans. He's on tape saying that he's admitted to downplaying the the virus and letting tens of thousands, now we're at 20, 20, uh, over 200,000 American deaths and and over 7 million confirmed cases in the U.S. And it's rising. It's not going well. Yes, the first confirmed case was, I believe, on January 20th of 2020. Um, and I believe that Trump's travel ban uh, from China went into effect on January 31st, I believe. Now, uh, fact check me on that. Sure, go ahead, fact check me on that. But I believe that's what it is. Um, so you can tell that his travel ban didn't really do much if COVID was already here before then. I mean, it just, it, we could have, prevented this situation from getting as bad as it has. And because of that, uh, the economy, which Obama mostly created, by the way, um, has now effectively been destroyed and we're in a huge recession. Small businesses are closing everywhere. Most of the stimulus money that was supposed to go to businesses went to large corporations, mm-hmm. not to many small businesses. And I think we and if you're going to talk about... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think we're going to talk those- about... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You want to, yeah, yeah. Okay. And if you want to talk about um, Trump's unemployment rate, which is now awful. Was, oh, before it was the lowest in history. That's just not true. It isn't. The lowest unemployment rate in history was in 1944 when the unemployment rate was uh, 1.2%. So Trump doesn't even have that. You've been saying, oh, he has the lowest unemployment rate in history. That's not true. It's not true. He has not had the lowest total unemployment rate in history. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. You actually took the word (laughs) out of my mouth. This, he inherited such a a great economy. Everything was doing well until he just chose to Really, just it, it, it's his fault. I'm not saying I'm not putting blame on saying the whole virus was his fault, but just the handling of the situation of discrediting um, leading scientific experts like Dr. Burks and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, just every time going against g- giving the American people mixed signals about who to believe the leader, the uh, supposed leader or leading experts. And he really put the American people in a tough situation because in times of crisis, well, at least what they say is that we're always supposed to look to our leaders. But in this case, this man has shown that he's incapable of leading the American people uh, out of this difficult time in history. I'm just... The, divi- the division we're seeing is unprecedented. You know, I, I'm young, so I, I, don't, I haven't seen all of American history. But I would say that this is division that we haven't seen in a very long time. If it, if it hasn't been something that we've never seen before, 
I don't think it's division that we've seen in a very long time. And you can tell Trump hasn't made a commitment to uniting America. What he's been doing has been dividing us. And while he has not, he hasn't said, I am trying to divide America. He also hasn't said, I am trying to unify us. Mm -mm. I mean, let that sink in. The president of the United States is not saying that he's trying to end like the division that exists in our country. I mean, that, that's his job is to protect us and to lead us and to make sure that we are unified. It is called the United States of America for a reason. But we are as divided as ever. And, and I know that I'm now going to go into endorsing a political candidate, um, but Joe is saying that he wants to unite us. He's not saying I'm gonna be a president for who votes for me. He's gonna be a president for all Americans. That it is the United States of America. Oh, he's repeatedly said that. I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's one candidate that wants to unite us, and there's one candidate who thrives off of division. I mean, it, the, the choice is clear. Mm -hmm. It's clear. What, whatever arguments you have for Trump, the economy killed it. Race relations. I mean, that's just laughing. <laughs> like that's a laughing stock. <laughs> yeah, anything that he's done. Like, that's the only thing I really think he had going for him was the economy. And he's screwed that up. And So what is there left to support Trump? And I don't mean to be like... <laughs> no, I do mean to be... This is with all disrespect. <laughs> with all disrespect coming right now. Is that if you are voting for someone who is actively, willingly taking away my rights as a human being... We are not friends. We are not cool. Like, you, no, like, no. How are you actively supporting someone who is take is actively taking away rights from members of the LGBTQ plus um, community who wants to strip away um, women's reproductive rights, who doesn't believe there's a systematic racism problem in the United States of America, who has called white supremacists and neo-nazis good people who just who's imposed all this xenophobic racist misogynistic language and policies like and you're still supporting him like wow then you you've shown that you don't care about me you don't care about um any of your friends or family members who are part of these different communities and really you have to look yourself in the mirror every single day and say that you voted for someone who is making life harder for the people that I allegedly care about period that was so well said snaps to that snaps to that yeah um again for those who don't know um usually i use snaps <laughs> when i firmly agree with something so yes snaps to that josh thank you um i'm trying to see if we have is there anything else that we want to get to or are we going to move into closing thoughts now i think we have covered all the points that we wanted to talk about we can go into closing thoughts so would you like to start 
Sure. Yeah, I'll start with closing thoughts. Uh, I'd say, looking back at the debate, um, I'm glad they're over. I, I was having, I struggled to stay with them uh, and struggled to watch them, but I kept, I, I pushed through, I pressed on. Um, it's clear to me, I mean, it was always clear to me that, that Biden was the better choice, um, but it is exceptionally clear to me now that he is um, because when you look at Trump's debate performance, um, he doesn't really talk about plans he has because he doesn't really have any. He doesn't talk about how he's going to fix problems. He talks about uh, the small minor things that he's done that really have only benefited himself and a small group of people. And then he just hurls personal attacks. And that's productive, in, that's not at all productive. And so when you have a president who can't, or when you have a, a candidate, and in this case, the candidate who was up for re-election, who cannot outline what their goals are, what they're trying to do, and how they're going to do it, and the other candidate can do that, I think it's really as simple as that, that the candidate who is able to express what and how, like how and what they're going to do, and that candidate is clearly the better choice than the candidate who cannot do that. And so, yeah, I'll just, I'll close with that and I will close with vote, vote blue, uh, learn not just about the presidential race, um, but if you're tuning in from states with senators who are up for re-election, learn about those senators. We also need to flip the Senate. The president cannot accomplish much without a Congress that is willing to do things. That's why uh, Obama was not able to push through uh, Merrick Garland as a Supreme Court justice to fill uh, the late Anthony Scalia's uh, seat um, because the Senate was blocking him. So yes, don't just vote for president, vote for Senate, vote for state Senate, mayor, local races. Uh, pay attention to what's going on in your communities, both local, state, and nationally. So yeah, vote. And if there are organizations that will be able to provide you with like a voting guide, if you find an organization that uh, you know mostly supports your values and your morals, uh, they will. I'm sure these organizations would be more than happy to tell you a bit about candidates uh, who are running. You know, like it's, it's a quick Google search to find out who's running for office. So yeah, take the time, learn about your candidates, and vote local, state, and federal elections. Vote all the time. When I look back at these last four years, words like, like a shame, disappointment, sadness just come to my mind just looking at all the horrendous things that he has done and said. And I think going forward into this election, we are, we're it's only a little over a week until the uh, presidential election. All I have to really say is vote, vote, vote. Um, remember what's on the line here. It's not just the presidential election. It is the Senate. It is the Congress. It is uh, go uh, governor elections, mayoral candidates, state senators. It's all, everything is on the line. 
we have a power to change the system to make sure that it's working for everyone. And I want you to remember that the, we, <laughs> the president, all these uh, people in positions of power, they work for us. They work for us. We pay them. Our tax dollars are going towards them. They, they don't own us, okay? We put them in those positions of power and we have the ability to hold them accountable and take them out of those positions of power when they are not working for the people. Just vote, vote, and vote. Everything's on the line.